Virginia's back roads and rural areas are dotted with traces of once thriving communities. General stores, train depots, schools, churches, banks, and post offices provide intriguing details of a way of life now largely gone. Lost Communities of Virginia, the new book by our speaker, documents 30 small communities from throughout the Commonwealth that have lost their original industry, transportation mode, or way of life. Using contemporary photographs, maps, and excerpts of interviews with longtime residents of these communities, the book documents the present conditions, recalls past boom times, and explains the role of each community in regional settlement. Terry Fisher is the Outreach and Programs Coordinator for the Community Design Assistance Center at Virginia Tech and the former executive director of the Giles County Historical Society. While working in, first, in a first career as a software engineer in the once booming city of Camden, New Jersey, among abandoned industrial and residential buildings and living at the same time in sterile suburbia, she decided to switch gears to her first love, historic preservation. She enrolled in the Master of Architecture program at Virginia Tech and began working at the Community Design Assistance Center on projects including museum expansions, downtown design guidelines, and adaptive reuse before becoming involved in the Lost Communities project. In addition to this book, Terry is the author of a historic preservation blog and has published several articles and three pictorial histories, Parisburg and Giles County, then and now, and with her husband, Terry Nicholson, the only couple I've ever met who have the same first name, the forthcoming Blacksburg then and now. In her spare time, she and her husband are rehabilitating two 19-teens houses in Narrows, a once booming town in southwest Virginia. So please join me in a warm VHS welcome for Terry Fisher, who will speak to us today about lost communities of Virginia. Hello, everyone. <laughs> uh, thank you all for being here today. I'm thrilled with the size of the audience here. And uh, I feel like I'm in the big city because I've just come from Southwest Virginia, um, Blacksburg and Narrows. And so I'm gonna take you back to the rural parts of the state instead of the big city here uh, and talk to you about the lost communities of Virginia. Uh, and this is a project of the Community Design Assistance Center at Virginia Tech. And it was published by Albemarle Books in Earliesville and is distributed by the University of Virginia Press. The whole project really began with curiosity. And this curiosity was the curiosity of my co-author, Kirsten Sparenborg. And she was driving west on 460 from Blacksburg um, out into Giles County. And she came upon a sign that said Eggleston. And she was curious as to what that was and what was out there. And so she followed the sign and she found a small community. And at the time, uh, the general store was still open out there. And so she went inside and she visited with the storekeeper, Gladys Dowdy. And Gladys told her a lot about what the place was like uh, during its heyday, uh, why it was the way it was today, which is a lot of closed buildings and one open store and one open post office. And really just kind of answered questions about the place. So Kirsten brought that information back to our office at the Community Design Assistance Center, which I'm going to call CDAC from now on because the other is quite a mouthful, and talked to our director, Elizabeth Gilboy, who had the idea of turning this into a project that spanned the entire state and using that curiosity to look at all of the different places that were around and what they once were. Now, why would this be something that CDAC would do? <laughs> That's a big question. Um, CDAC provides landscape architecture, architecture planning, and interior design uh, services to nonprofit organizations, communities, and government agencies that are unable to afford the services of a private consultant. And Virginia Tech students are the ones that provide those services. And so it gives them an opportunity to actually get some real, real world experience, which you wouldn't otherwise get in Blacksburg because we don't have a lot of architecture and landscape architecture firms there. But in the process, because these are mostly rural projects, it's taken us throughout the state. And all these little black dots here are places that we had had projects between um, 19, 
88 and 2008, which was when our 20th anniversary was. And you can see that a lot of them are in southwest Virginia, but they're scattered throughout the state as well. We've done a project actually here in Jackson Ward, um, helping out with one of the parks, I believe, recently. Um, but in traveling to all these communities, you also would go through rural communities. So you would find places that had abandoned general stores, uh, old schools, old churches, old um, post offices, banks, and things like that. And we would start to wonder what it was about those. And so that's why this project actually became our project through CDAC. So what is a lost community? A lost community is a place that's lost in industry. This is mouth of Wilson and Grayson County and they once had a woolen mill there. Um, that woolen mill was basically the company uh, town, <laughs> so the company had built everything around that. Uh, you can think of other places that have lost industries. Uh, the tobacco industry has really changed here, for example. In Southside Virginia, you can think of the furniture industry uh, and also tobacco and textiles and things that are creating lost communities in places like Danville and Martinsville. It's a place that's lost a transportation mode and this is Woodford and Caroline County near Fredericksburg. And here the train used to stop, and now it doesn't. Amtrak and um, regular freight trains actually just go right through now. But at one time the train stopped there, and that really created a community. Um, you can think of other transportation uh, hubs, such as those related to roads that have been bypassed now. Um, and also steamboats are another kind of transportation mode. And stagecoaches if you go back even further. Or it's a place that's lost a way of life. And this is Doe Hill in Highland County. And if you've ever been up to the Maple Festival that happens in March, um, Doe Hill is one of the places where there's a maple syrup uh, producer that you can go visit. Um, but this really is to represent the sitting around the um, pot-bellied stove and gossiping, doing business, all of those kinds of things that once happened in communities that don't so much happen anymore because a lot of times there's not the gathering place for that anymore. But a lost community does not mean that the place is gone and that there's nobody there and that there's nobody that still cares about the place. This is Newport in Giles County, and I use this as an example because it's nearby to Blacksburg and because people there have actually said, we're not lost. Well, <laughs> um, they're lost because their transportation mode has changed. Um, their place has changed. They're no longer focused around a stagecoach stop, which was their original intention. Um, today, they're more of a bedroom community for Virginia Tech. And so things have changed there, but they do definitely still have a community there. And this is the uh, Newport Fair, which has been going on for more than 75 years now at their old high school, which is now their community center. And they have all kinds of community events there today. So it's still a community, but it's a very different community. And the original re reason for it being there has been lost today. So how did we come up with the 30 communities that are in the Lost Communities of Virginia book? Well, my co-author, Kirsten Sparenborg, started with the Red Gazetteer of Virginia. And if you're familiar with that, that's that big red atlas that has um, many, many pages that show you all the back roads throughout Virginia. It's great if you love driving on back roads. And she went through that and found 2,600 places that were small. And then she started driving. <laughs> And she found um, 548 of those places that still seem to have uh, buildings there. You know how sometimes you'll drive around and you'll see a little green sign that has the name of the place, but there's nothing there anymore. She dropped those off the list. She came up with 548 where she took photographs of the buildings, and we have all of those still at the office, and then narrowed those down to 130 that seem to have the most um, community focus and seemed to still have a locus where you could go and actually ask questions and find out about the place. And there were some characteristics that they, she was looking for here in narrowing it down to 130. And one was that there were traces of the place left. And those traces could be buildings that were there, but they could be other smaller things in the landscape. They could be things like the railroad track here in Stonega in Wise County um, that just ends at the road. Um, that would show you there was a train there once, or the gas pump that was on the main street of Pamplin City in Appomattox County, which is just off of 460 if you head um, west and back over towards Blacksburg. Uh, the gas pump is not there anymore, but it's still worth going and checking out the town. It's pretty cool. Um, but that's a trace that is left there. There had to be people that could tell you the stories of the places and what it was like and what they remembered. 
And so uh, in most all of these communities, we found some older members of the community, either by going to the local historical society or stopping by a general store if there was open, it was open, or going to the post office even and finding out who the person was to talk to and just find out what it was like living there. And the places had to be unique yet typical. And so this example is Eagle Rock in Botetourt County, which is actually on the other end of the James River and Kanawha Canal from here. This was where they would have built the last lock uh, of the canal and didn't quite get it completed. Um, but this is an example where you have an industrial community. They produce lime there, um, and they have a main street. But that main street is facing the railroad tracks and the canal, because those are kind of the most important parts of it. There's not another side to Main Street that you're not seeing here. It's just a one-sided Main Street, and it's facing out. So um, it's unique, but yet it's typical to Virginia's history. So we ended up with the 30 communities here. Um, of the 130, those were taken to a panel of experts in the College of Architecture and Urban Studies at Virginia Tech, and they came up with the final 30 that were in the, are in the book, and these were the, are the 30 we have. So let me just stop for a second here before I move on and say there's a, a little bit of a disconnect here in the book because Kirsten began the book. She went and she visited those first 30 communities. She took photographs there. She interviewed everybody there, and she created a draft of the book. But she had graduated from Virginia Tech and was actually looking for an architecture job, and she got one <laughs> in Savannah, and so she left Blacksburg. And so I became the person to finish the book and take it through publication. And in the process of taking it through publication, we found that we really needed to put more depth and more detail into each one of those chapters. And so I reviewed or I researched each one of those chapters and wrote the chapters of the book. And in the process, I went back and visited each one of the 30 communities because over the time that it took, which was more than 10 years to finish this book, things had changed. And I also needed to review them to create the maps that are in each chapter. So that's kind of the, the distinction between what she did and what I did. So you know, I didn't actually talk to the people, so I can't answer questions specifically about that or specifically about how the communities were um, chosen, but I know a lot about each one of these communities. So um, we put this, the book into seven different categories of places. And the first is a gathering place. I'm gonna go through what each one of these are and give you some examples of the different types. And gathering places are places where people came together. And there's several different types I'll show you. And um, generally, what's happened is as we've become much more mobile, these places have just kind of broken apart. So they aren't the gathering places that they once were. A lot of it has to do with having um, automobiles today, being able to move more, um, also not having or having more technology than we did at one time we're able to um, move around more. So this is the bridge in Carroll County and Kath Kathleen Worrell Marshall says I never missed the bridge meeting after the first one I went to because that's where I saw everybody that I'd ever known we just had a ball all day long <laughs> and this is one of the types of gathering places this is a church um, this is the uh, Primitive New Hope Primitive Baptist Church in Carroll County, and they gathered once a year for the big August meeting. And while this was a religious gathering, everybody from the community actually came there, and it, there would usually be hundreds of people that visited at that time because it became a real community gathering. There were um, picnics, there were booths where you could buy things that you didn't normally eat, things like bananas and ice cream and things like that. Um, and that it became a real, uh, it was something that people planned for for months in advance. You would make your dress for that. You would um, kill, slaughter the hog before that so that you had the meat, you know. So there were things that people did in preparation for this. And it really went on until the 1930s. And this actually um, changed when there was a covered bridge here, which is why it was called the bridge. And a lot of this um, gathering went on across the bridge, actually. Uh, from where the meeting was taking place. And in the 1930s, the bridge was removed and they moved the road out. It's actually 220. They moved the road further out and so it was um, more dangerous to be doing this <laughs> uh, event. And so it just stopped at that point. I think they may still do the meeting, but it's not the way it was at one time. Uh, courthouse towns are another gathering place. This is Boydton in Mecklenburg County. And many of you may have been there. Um, in fact, actually, if you see the uh, signs for the Boydton Plank Road, 
or Boydton-Petersburg plank road, that was to go to Boydton and it was to get the tobacco from Boydton to Petersburg so that it could go to market. Um, but this is a courthouse town and every county in Virginia had one of these where you went to the courthouse to do all of your business. And if you think about back when you were doing that on horseback, you would have to spend the night there because uh, it would take you a long time to get there. It would take you a long time to get home. And so there were usually hotels around here. There were also stores so that you could shop while you were at the, the courthouse. And then the courthouse itself was a form of entertainment. You know, when you didn't have TVs, if you went to a court trial, that could be pretty exciting. <laughs> <laughs> and in Boydton, the courtroom is on the second floor. And uh, there's a record of, I think it was in the early 1900s, there was a court case in which they were concerned that the floor was actually going to collapse because there were so many people up there watching the trial of a doctor. Another type of gathering place is a mill, and this is Clements or Piedmont Mill in Franklin County, and this is actually the same place that's on the cover of the book that was up here to start with. And a mill was a place where farmers would go to get their grain milled. Well, that took a while, and so while you were waiting, you might be chatting with the other farmers. You might sell a horse or something while you were in line. But you also might bring your whole family because there was usually a store there. So your wife could go shopping, and there was a mill pond. So the kids might go swimming in the mill pond and you know, hang out together at the same time. So uh, that became a real gathering place as well. And then, of course, the general store was too. This is Nortonsville in Albemarle County near Charlottesville. And this general store really was everything. It was, <laughs> there's not much else around here. There's just kind of the general store at this point. But they sold everything from uh, vegetables to caskets. You know, <laughs> there was a, a dentist located here. Uh, there was a well house. There were all kinds of things that you could do while you were here. But then on Saturday nights when most people went shopping, they would also uh, be playing music or just visiting on the porch. So it was a real, um, gathering place for people. Another type of community is a farming community. And as I'm sure you're well aware, a lot of our farm farmland has actually given way to development at this point. And so farming has really changed over the years. And a lot of that really has had to do with the differences in types of farms. There used to be more smaller farm family farms, and now we have larger corporate farms. And also having to do with uh, who was doing the work. You used to have people doing more work, and now there's more machinery doing work. So things have really changed a lot in the farming communities. This is Manita in Bedford County, which says, my father always said, I never thought I would see the day when I wouldn't see a mule in this community because they were the conveyors and the machinery of his age. I never thought I would live to see the day when I would be standing on what was once 122, talking about how Manita used to be. So it comes full circle. Now, if any of you are familiar with Manita, it's where Smith Mountain Lake is today. And so you don't really see much farmland or realize that it is a farming community anymore. So that's kind of a real good example. Um, and just as kind of an aside, um, the movie What About Bob was filmed in Manita. If you remember that movie, it was supposed to be at Lake Winnipesaukee in New Hampshire. Um, but the store that they go into is it's either this one that you can see in the picture or it's the one next to it. And uh, Manita also has, if you've ever been there, there is a main street there, but you can't, it's very hard to get to today because it's blocked by the railroad. Um, there had been some problems with that railroad crossing, so they just blocked the road at the crossing, so half of Main Street's on one side and half is on the other. So you've got to go around to get to the other side. There are two different kinds of farming communities. This is Doe Hill again in Highland County, home of the Maple Syrup Festival. And Doe Hill is an example where there's a Main Street that has the community buildings on it. So there's a store and a church and post office and things on the street here. And actually, most of the farmhouses are along the street, and then the farmland is outlying from there. Another kind of farming community is one like you know in Madison County. And this is just a store in one place. And all the farms are more dispersed. So the farmland surrounds the houses rather than having the farmland kind of off the main street like it is in Doville. And this is Capeville in Northampton County on the eastern shore. Uh, and here's an example where development is encroaching in places. But you can still go out to the eastern shore and you can still certainly see that there's a lot of tomatoes and potatoes and things that are coming from that area. Cultural enclaves are a third kind of community we looked at. Um, and these are places that were usually created around discrimination. 
and that discrimination might be racial, cultural, economic, religious. Um, and the places usually were, um, at some point, they would actually disperse. You can think of segregation and things that would make it so that um, people no longer had to live in those places anymore, and at that point, they would move out, and the places would then become lost. <laughs> um, this is Almagro in Danville City, and Marjorie Holliness said, Almagro was a garden spot of the city. It was like a big family. Everyone knew each other. There was a lot of togetherness. And this is an African-American community in Danville. It's south of the railroad tracks and south of the tobacco warehouses. And most of the people that lived there worked in the tobacco warehouses, but they couldn't live on that side of the railroad tracks. And so they had their own community, and it was a full community. It had, well, houses and stores, sure, but it had the church. It had a hospital. It had uh, its own minor league baseball park, a school. It had everything you would need to make a full and complete community. And then, of course, um, when integration happened, they no longer needed to live in that community, and they were able to live elsewhere in the city. And so at that point, the community started to break up. The Pamunkey Indian Reservation in King William County is an example of a cultural, cultural, cultural enclave. Um, and this actually was created not long after the European settlement uh, at Jamestown in 1607. Um, as we know, at that point, um, there started to be conflicts happening, and that really had to do with some philosophical differences between how the Native Americans and how the Europeans thought about land. And the Native Americans felt that the land was for everyone the hunting and fishing and all of that was for everyone. Whereas the Europeans were actually coming in and they were buying up the land and they wanted it for their own. And so that started to create conflicts, which then resulted in the Europeans creating a reservation. Um, and that reservation land has gotten smaller and smaller and smaller over time, but it still exists. Um, and this would be the first Indian reservation in the country. Um, there are about 58 people that live out there now and they still are giving back to the land. Uh, they have their, a shad hatchery out there where they give back to the um, Pamunkey River. And there's a museum out there, which I encourage you to go visit if you're in that area so you can learn more about the Pamunkey Indians. And this is a Jerome in Shenandoah County, and it's example, an example of a religious enclave. And if you go and visit there, um, the Germans were moving down the Shenandoah Valley from Pennsylvania. And they created many communities like this. This one is centered around the German Lutheran Church in Jerome. And as you can see, the church is on the left there. And the road actually circles the church and the graveyard there. So everything else was on the other side. So there were a couple of gas stations, some farms, um, but they were opposite the church. And the church is very much the center of the community there. And up until the 1960s, apparently, there were actually still people there who spoke German as their first language. Resort communities are the fourth type of community that we looked at. And in Western Virginia and Eastern West Virginia today, um, there are a number of places that were once springs resorts. And they're created around the mineral springs that are so common out there. And they all had uh, names that were kind of told you something about the place and what the water was like there. So you had things like white sulfur springs and yellow sulfur springs and blue sulfur springs and red sulfur springs and <laughs> sweet calibiate springs and sweet springs and hot springs and warm springs. And um, so you, you got all kinds of names out there. Uh, and they were first found in the 1700s um, by people that were moving westward and surveying our land. People like George Washington found some of these resorts, or they weren't resorts at the time, they found the mineral springs. Um, and the mineral springs became a place for people to go to heal. So each one of those springs had properties that supposedly made people healthier for different reasons. And in some cases you drank the water and in other cases you bathed in the water, it depended. And um, as time moved on, they actually turned into resorts because the mountain communities had much fresher air, they thought, in the summer than the low-lying southern uh, eastern areas like Richmond <laughs> and further east when you're along the ocean um, there were different diseases and things that were in the marshes and that sort of thing that were moving the southern planters out of that area for the summer so they would go to the mountains and there are two of those resorts still around uh, the homestead and the Greenbrier and if you've ever been to either one of those they're not that easy to get to today so imagine doing that with a horse 
or a stagecoach <laughs> and all your trunks and everything that you needed to do that. It wasn't an easy thing to do, but people would do that for months at a time. And it was mostly Southern planters. So after the Civil War, that changed because they didn't have the money to be doing that and the Northerners really didn't come down. So most of these places started to disappear after the Civil War and really by World War I, that was the end of most of them. Uh, this is Sweet Calibiate, which is in Allegheny County uh, and it says there are four requisites that must combine to form a perfect health and pleasure resort, climate, water, amusements, and good hotel accommodations. At the Sweet Calibiate Springs, all these important requisites are to be found. And this is a place that actually did close uh, after World War II. It hasn't been used since then, uh, but, and this is part of the hotel itself. Most of it has collapsed, but there is the one section that's being used as apartments, and it, it doesn't look like it's in very good shape today. Um, and you might ask, well, so how is this a community? This was a resort. Well, you had to have a place for all the people who worked there to live too. So there really was a community in that place. And before the Civil War, most people brought their slaves with them as well. So there were a set of slaves there, the um, people that were the guests, and then also the people that worked there and lived there all the time, the servants. So there were three separate communities. Transportation hubs are a different kind of community that we looked at. Uh, this is Newport in Giles County. And Carolyn Vinsel said, yeah, all the traffic came through Newport. And when I'd want to go over to the store for something, you know, you had to wait a while. <laughs> and <laughs> for people that are in Blacksburg, they really think this is funny because this is really close by and they know you don't really have to wait for anything anymore. <laughs> um, but this was a stagecoach stop. I, this is the community I mentioned to begin with. It doesn't want to be lost. Um, and this was a stagecoach stop, and it was the crossroads of two roads that were headed westward. So during Virginia's westward expansion, it was very popular as a stop. Uh, one is the Fincastle Turnpike, and the other one is essentially 460, and it was following the courthouses as you're going west. So it went from Christiansburg and Montgomery County to Parisburg and Giles County, and then it would go out to Tazewell and Russell County and keep on going out that way. So it was a very popular place, and it had hotels, stores, all the things that you would need for a stop. In uh, the early 1900s, um, Newport burned. And prior to that, it had, it had been known as Hell's Half Acre, actually, because of all of the taverns that were there. And the story is that the reason that it burned actually had something to do with the tavern owners and some shooting and stuff. But anyway, <laughs> it burned. So what's there today is a little bit different than uh, what was there during the stagecoach time. It was all rebuilt in the early 1900s. Um, but there are still stores. There's a hotel, there's a bank, um, church, school, everything that you would need for a full community there. So it's a kind of an interesting example of what a community once was, um, even though it's a very small population today. And it's also been bypassed by 460, by the way, at this point, too. This is uh, Branchville in Southampton County, and this was a railroad stop, a railroad community. And it used to be when you had steam trains, you had to stop for water stops periodically to take on water to keep the steam going. And so Branchville was a water stop. And around that water stop, stores came, were built up. There were also um, different industries and things usually at these stops as well. And so Branchville at one time apparently had nine stores. And today there aren't any of those open anymore. There is a post office there. And in this photograph, there's actually a bank also on the right too. So it was another example of a place with a bank. And um, really what happened here was it, mostly in the 50s and 60s, trains didn't stop anymore. They didn't stop to pick, on, pick up passengers. And so in most cases, many of these communities, the trains just go zipping on by. And if you've been on Amtrak, you can see some of this actually. Uh, if you look out the windows and watch what's going past you, you'll see some of these small communities today. Um, but many of them don't even have passenger traffic at all. And this is Sharps in Richmond County uh, on the Northern Neck, which is another example of a transportation hub. And for me, this one's really interesting because I've always lived in mountainous areas and so the whole idea of steamboats is kind of romantic. You know, it's a very different idea. And um, Sharps was very dependent on steamboats until the 1930s and that was when the bridge was built on 360 to get you over to the northern neck and you no longer needed the steamboat. 
But prior to that, uh, it was actually a very isolated place. And so everything came in and out by steamboat. Your mail, your newspaper, guests, food, all sorts of things. And then the things that went out would be the oysters and tomatoes that they canned there, as well as you know anything else that needed to go, passengers. And there's stories which are hard to believe, especially on this hot day in May, that um, in the early 1900s, uh, I think it was the 19-teens, that the Chesapeake Bay and the Rappahannock River both froze over for three weeks. And so during that time, they weren't able to get anything in and out because the ships couldn't move up and down the river. The steamboats couldn't move on the river. The steamships couldn't move in the bay. And so they were really stuck during that time. Um, as I mentioned, the steamboats stopped in the 1930s. That was partially due to the bridge being built, but also because there were some catastrophic fires on steamboats, and it was just too difficult to actually get them up to code so that they wouldn't um, actually do that again. A resource extraction town is the sixth type of community that we looked at. This is Mineral and Louisa County, and many of you know Mineral unfortunately because of the earthquakes that were centered, have been centered there. Um, and this, Brooks Besley says the mining industry was big. You see 100 years ago, late 1800s C, we had a population here of 25,000 people or more so. And then by the 50s, everything had died. Everybody who wanted to live left here so they could eat on a regular basis. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the resource extraction towns are an interesting example because they are built around our natural resources, whether that be timber, uh, lime, coal, or things like in the eastern part of Virginia, or the central part of Virginia where mineral is, um, there's a mineral belt through there. So they've got gold, silver, pyrite, copper, all kinds of things there. So there were different kinds of resource extraction towns. Um, and all of them usually did pretty well until either it was cheaper to get the resource somewhere else or they had used up all of the resource that was there. And then at that point, they would die. Um, Mineral was actually known as Mineral City to begin with. And they created that. They had a plan for the community that was going to be 160 blocks. And they started trying to sell that. And in the late 18, or in the 1890s, there was a depression. And it was not soon after they started, or not long after they started to um, sell that plan. And so they didn't sell much of it. And there's only about 40 blocks that got built at it that you can see there today. Uh, the other thing I, I'll mention about this that I didn't find anything in the census about there being 25,000 people ever living in Mineral. So you have to be careful when you're doing oral history to make sure, that's why we call these interviews because we don't know for sure uh, the answer to whether some of these things are true. Um, Pamplin City in Appomattox County is another resource extraction uh, town and this one's a little bit different than you might think too. Uh, this was based around clay and so it was based around the white clay that's in the area, and they made smoking pipes from that. And to begin with, they were making, they're the long ones, you know, with the, that you think of in colonial times. Um, these smoking pipes were made in people's houses to start with, and then later on they actually started manufacturing them in a more mechanized way, and it seems to me it wasn't super mechanized, though, because I think they just pressed the stuff into a mold and then they pushed down with their foot and you know, it created more at once than they did before. Um, but these pipes were actually very popular and they found them on, there was a steamship called Bertram that was sunk in the Missouri River and they found some on that ship. So they were known throughout the, at least the country and possibly further. This is a, the lime kilns at Eagle Rock in Botetourt County that I mentioned before. Um, and lime is very popular in the part of Virginia that we're from, the southwest part over Giles County, Montgomery County, all along the New River there actually has a lot of lime in it. And they're even still um, extracting lime in Giles County today. Uh, but Eagle Rock had lime on the opposite side of the James River. So they were tram had a tram system that they brought it over. They burned it here at these kilns. And then the railroad tracks are really just barely out of the picture here. So they really could just put it right on the train and take off with it. And company towns are the last kind of town that we looked at. And these are also resource extraction towns, but they're a little bit different in that the company owned everything and they built everything. And these are somewhat more isolated. A lot of them are in Southwest Virginia uh, and a lot of them are built around coal. Um, 
This is Stonega in Wise County. And Daisy Lambert says, we used to have a theater up here in a hospital. We had a good place to live. This was our home. We didn't care to go anywhere out of Stonega. We had our own barber shop. We had a big theater, a company store, sold hardware and clothing and groceries. So we had what we needed here. We didn't need to go anywhere else. We had our church. And usually, um, because of the isolation of these places, there weren't people readily available to be hired there. So often, the companies would go directly to the um, docks where the immigrants were coming in, so places like Ellis Island and Wilmington, North Carolina. They would just go there, and they would hire people on the spot, and they would bring them to the backwoods of Virginia, is <laughs> kind of how it goes here. And so you'll find that a lot of these places had large Eastern European um, populations there. Uh, and usually, these company towns were actually built in a way, um, companies built everything. They built the houses, the stores, the schools, the churches, everything that was there. But they also built them so that they were segregated. So the African Americans usually lived closest to the mine where it was the dirtiest. And then came the Eastern Europeans who were in the next area. And then usually the people that were running the mine were next so they could keep an eye on things. And then the native born white workers were further out. And so, um, the part that you're seeing of Stonega here is actually the African-American community in the school. Pocahontas in Tazewell County is another one of those coal communities. And this one um, is probably my favorite community in a lot of ways just because it's very architecturally interesting and very sad. <laughs> because at one point, um, Pocahontas, which is built around coal, and they have not had any coal mined there since the 1950s, um, they once had 4,000 people in population about, and today there's only about 400 people there. And it's, it was built in the 1890s, and it was once a beautiful Victorian community, and you can see the beautiful storefronts there. And unfortunately, when you look real closely at those storefronts, you can see that all the roofs have collapsed behind them. Uh, because they're isolated, there hasn't been anybody coming in to buy up those places to turn it into something else. It's, it's just been very difficult for them to turn themselves into anything else. Um, but they do have a museum up there too, so if you're ever in that area, go see it. it you can go into the old mine. <coughs> and Paint Bank in Craig County is another example of a, um, this one was a community built around the iron ore industry. Um, and this is actually one of the company houses that was there. And it was across the creek and they pulled it across the creek and turned it into a service station, which is why it's got the gas pumps. And then after the <laughs> service station closed, it was turned into the post office, which it still is today, at least until it's actually on the closing list, so hopefully it won't be closed, but um, it is still open today. And this is a, a place that's pretty isolated. <laughs> um, and they had put the railroad tracks in there to take the iron ore out. When they were done with that, they took the, all the timber out that they could then they took the railroad tracks out, and then they were done. So and you can see today there's still a railroad depot there, and if you approach Paint Bank from the right direction, you can actually follow the old railroad bed, which is much flatter and smoother than it is to go up the mountain roads to get there. Um, but it really has changed today. And usually what happened with the company towns was, um, well, part of it had to do with they might have mined everything out of there so there was nothing left or um, people became more mobile, so they didn't have to live there anymore. They could live somewhere else and commute in. So, in epilogue, I'd like to say that no place is static. And I'm sure you know that. Um, collapse can happen. And this is Pocahontas again in Tazewell County. And this is their company store. And it had been put on Preservation Virginia's most endangered list and they had actually received a little bit of funding so that they could start to at least stabilize it, even if they couldn't restore it. And as they were starting that stabilization, it collapsed. Um, so that, this is you know, a, a real blow for the community there. And I haven't been up there most recently, so I, but last I was there, it was like it looks in the, down, the lower picture. They were still trying to keep as much as they could to possibly still be able to do something. Um, destruction happens despite our best intentions. This is Stonega in Wise County, and it is on the National Register of Historic Places. The whole entire um, community of Stonega is. But that really just brings attention to the fact that it's an important place. And unfortunately, it doesn't provide any sort of protection for it. 
And so there is still coal further on up in the, the hollow there. And they're starting to um, do some mountaintop removal and pulling that down. And so as they're doing that, they're tearing down the buildings. And so those two photographs are taken from the same spot. So when I was there, all there was left were piles of debris from where the African-American community was. Development can happen. We mentioned this before. The top photograph is Manita at Smith Mountain Lake in Bedford County, and they are building a lot of um, things for people that are using the lake there. I find it ironic that there is actually a development called Downtown Manita at Smith Mountain Lake, <laughs> even though there is a Downtown Manita, but nobody knows that today, I guess. And Reiner in Montgomery County is the lower photograph, and this is just outside of Blacksburg, so there are houses growing in the fields, and really that's to help uh, with the growth of Virginia Tech. Not all the stories are bad. Um, <laughs> there has been some restoration happening. Uh, this top photograph here is the store at Eggleston, which is where Kirsten had first visited with Gladys Dowdy that I showed you at the very beginning. And that building has also been put on the National Register, and the owner has turned it into a uh, very nice restaurant called the Palisades. And if you're ever in our area, I would suggest you go there. It's just kind of fun to even go and be in the old general store there. And she's also added a new gift shop next door with local, locally made products. And she's very successful, actually, in that location, even though it is kind of isolated. Right, revitalization is happening. This is Boydton in Mecklenburg County, and they've actually done a lot of work in their downtown area. They've gotten a lot of um, grant funding and things so that they've been able to improve their sidewalks, their lighting, uh, the facades of the buildings, and they're trying to pull in more business there. They've also restored their courthouse and they added a new wing to it. And so they're, they're poised to, <laughs> to come back there. And reinvention is something else that's happened. Uh, this is Paint Bank in Craig County. And I use this example because it's close to Virginia Tech and a lot of people usually know this area. Um, but this is the place I talked to you about last that had the iron ore community and the post office that might be closed there. Um, there was a patron that came in and bought up a number of the buildings there, including the old general store, which they've reopened. And it really is kind of like a general store in there now. But on the back is the Swinging Bridge restaurant. And that has become a destination for people. It's about an hour from Roanoke, Roanoke up the mountain roads. And lots of people just go there for the afternoon just to go to the restaurant. And then there's also, uh, you can see it in the background in this photograph, their old train station they've turned into a depot lodge bed and breakfast. And they've got another uh, building down the street that's also a hotel that I think they're going to try to uh, renovate, which they haven't done yet because of the economy. And they also uh, opened a buffalo farm. So they're providing the buffalo actually to the restaurant. So it's been a really good example of reinvention in our area. So I leave you with be curious because all communities are lost communities. So think about your own place and what it's like where you live and what the real history of the place is. And you can think of places like Midlothian and the coal mines that are there. Um, or we were talking actually at lunch, lunchtime about Jackson Ward and the African American community that was there. So there's lots of kinds of places, even if you live in the city of Richmond, each one of the neighborhoods is a community. And those communities may be lost communities. So find out a little bit more about the places where you live. And I invite you to join our um, Facebook group at Lost Communities of Virginia. And I also wanted to mention that we're a finalist for the uh, Library of Virginia Literary Awards and that voting starts on Monday. So <laughs> vote. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> anybody has any questions, yes. Go ahead. Over there. No, but, yeah. This is uh, maybe a more general question about your organization and the things that you can do. You mentioned Pocahontas and Boynton. In Pocahontas, a major prison was built nearby. In Boynton, one is closing. Mm -hmm. uh, could either of those communities uh, call upon your organization for positive impact and negative impact, and if so, what are the kinds of things that you could help them with? Well, I would say actually, um, as far as economic 
things like that. Uh, we, there is actually an economic development center at Virginia Tech that's probably more helpful with that. For the kinds of things that we can do, we can really help with things like downtown design guidelines or parks or um, helping with uh, if you want to put a, get some ideas, conceptual ideas about an addition on a museum or something like that. So we probably couldn't help too much with a situation like that. And it's interesting that you mentioned the prison in Pocahontas. They had really hoped that that would um, give them more people in the community and actually help them, and it hasn't at all. And I think it really has to do with the fact that people really are more mobile today. So they can live wherever they want to live and work at the prison, and, and it didn't help them at all, unfortunately. Yes? The post office is talking about closing a lot of... Uh, rural offices, I'm wondering how that will impact on this if they do this, which I think they will. Yeah, there's actually two of the communities that are in the book that are potentially closing. One is Paint Bank, and you know what, I can't remember what the other one was now. Um, but yes, it will have an impact, because today that is one of the community centers. That's really sort of a, a spot where people can meet up with each other, talk with each other, and a lot of times today where there's not other uh, commercial things or a school or anything left there that really is kind of the heart of the community. And losing your zip code is pretty sad, yeah. Yes. Comment first on the guy back here, the Pocahontas thing. Mm -hmm. You have to cross from Pocahontas Into the, West Virginia. Uh, back and forth to West Virginia and right. the prisoners Virginia won't let the prisoners go into West Virginia. They cut a new road through that completely leaves Pocahontas out. Right. But my real question is, your picture was of the Rusak building. Mm -hmm. You have in the book that that was a hotel. Mm -hmm. When was it a hotel? I don't know for sure. We were told that it that was, was a hotel. It was an apartment building. Okay. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. The railings uh -huh. used to be open. Okay. My parents got married in 1945. I was born in 47. We lived in that building. My mother got the, them to put the spindles in so I wouldn't fall through when I was learning to walk. <laughs> Great story. Thank you. <laughs> oh, sorry. Yeah. Um, first of all, I want to thank you for a great travel book. I keep this in my car. Oh, thanks. <laughs> and for my birthday in January, I had that picture taken with me in it. Oh, I, really? I wanted to go oh, to Clements yeah. Mill. My question is, this is one of artistic license. That truck is in reality blue. Mm -hmm. And the roof is a different color. Can you talk about how that was decided to uh, <laughs> well. change reality? <laughs> Let me just say, I took this photograph as black and white. And when I took it to uh, Albemarle Books, and actually it was Robert Llewellyn, the uh, pr photographer of Remarkable Trees of Virginia, that's his business, and he took this photograph and he colored it. And so um, he did okay, but you're right, the truck's the wrong color. I think it looks nice red. <laughs> it really pops more that way, I think. <laughs> yes. Yeah, talking about the photographs, uh, two questions. One, uh, did you and your co-author take all of the photographs? And two, what drove the decision to do them in black and white? Okay, yes, we did take all of the photographs. The earlier photographs that my co-author took, she took them all um, initially in black and white, and I think part of that had to do with the classes she was taking at the time as an architecture student. and in Virginia Tech's architecture school, we're encouraged to take photographs in black and white and just kind of ignore color because it makes you look a little bit more closely at the details. And so she did that and she actually took all of those in film and some of them are 35 millimeter and some are four by five photographs and she developed them all herself um, and printed them all herself. And then when I went back and took additional photographs, I did them all with a digital camera but I did it in black and white mode so that it would match the same stuff that she did. But I think it really had to do with being able to look more closely at the details, because the color kind of distracts you if you use that. So. I can imagine as a uh, that you had a hard time um, narrowing the, the, uh, the number of, of, of villages down to the, from the 130 down to 30. Uh, as a relatively young woman, uh, do you have any ideas of uh, perhaps maybe eventually publishing 
two, three, or maybe four more volumes. Because <laughs> uh, like I haven't uh, read the book. Uh, it's the first I've heard of it. But I can imagine the people who uh, that have uh, volume one would certainly appreciate two, three, and four to maybe <laughs> conclude the additional 100 volume of 100 uh, villages that were forced to be left out after narrowing it down from 500 and some to 130. Do you have any plans to come up with an additional volume, two, three, or four, as a <laughs> relatively young woman? I like the way you phrase that. <laughs> uh, we do have some plans. We haven't really completely fleshed them out yet, though, because it took a long time to do this initial book. It was over 10 years. Of course, if you do it again, it would take less than that because we kind of have an idea of what we're doing now. Um, but we've been looking at whether it would be best to do 30 communities at a time like that or to do areas of the state or types of communities. And in the meantime, we're actually working on a driving tour brochure which will be available through our website and at visitor centers this summer. Uh, and it is focusing on um, Halifax, Pennsylvania, Charlottesville, or sorry, Charlotte, <laughs> and um, Appomattox counties. So it'll be those four areas there. And where it's not of those 130 communities, it's really just kind of focused on driving through the back roads and finding out, learning more about what you see as you drive through those areas. So yes, maybe is the answer. <laughs> yes. Uh, I was just wondering, uh, we bought a farm and according to the people around there, there was a community there and the lady in the house was the postmistress with the post office being what's now our building. Where could I go to maybe find some more information about it? This is in Nottaway County and the town was called Winnie. I would try going to the local historical society if there is one. And it may be that there's, um, that's on the northern neck, is that, no, or near, it's, 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 it's south it's of the northern neck. It's on the other side neck. of Amelia. Yeah. <laughs> so there may be a local, larger area historical society. You could also try the Virginia Historical Society. They may have some information here. Uh, and the Department of Historic Resources may have some information too if there's been a survey done of the area. So those would be the first places I would try. Okay, thank you. And if there's a local museum too. Yes. I enjoyed the book very much. I wish you had dated the photographs <laughs> because, uh, you know, things change. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm glad that you're planning to continue this sort of thing uh, somewhat. But um, what, uh, well, that's about what I have to say. Thank you. <laughs> you mentioned different <coughs> communities, uh, religious, cultural. Did you find anything about uh, political communities? I'm thinking, um, I've always heard rumors of um, some of the European migrants who had different political beliefs coming over and, and having their own communes way back in the woods. <clears throat> Did you find any, any examples of that? We didn't, mm -hmm. uh, at least I haven't. I don't know if my co-author did or not. Um, and it would, it would depend if there were still buildings or anything there that would uh, give us kind of a hint that there was something there too. If they didn't ever show up on a map, then we might not have come across them as well. Too. Thank you.